Hi, it's the College Football Playoff Committee. We were hoping Michigan State could be back for another year. Hello? Hello? Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Stephen Oshansky alongside Casey Harrison. As always, this is the State News Sports Podcast. And, well, you got 12 more days. Well, actually, 11. You got 11 more days to bask in the glory of Jalen Watts Jackson's touchdown, final second punt return before you got to face the music, before you got to come back to reality. As I heard it called from another radio station today, The Reckoning. You got about 11 days to put your heart back into, to get it on life support, to tell your family members goodbye for a couple years, because you know what? After that 54-40 debacle to Northwestern, where they, the Wildcats put on 54 and didn't even look back, didn't even give you the, the courtesy of like knowing that it was coming, blindsided you with 54 points. If you think Michigan's going to score anything less than 54 points... I don't care that it's a rivalry game. I don't care that it is some sort of rivalry game where they're going to get fired up and they're going to turn things around. Yeah, the good one. That, that isn't going to happen. They're going to get trounced badly. And if you think we're not picking Maryland to win this week on the picks on Thursday or Friday, you haven't been paying attention. Michigan State going to get mollywopped. From here on out, they're only favored to win two more games in my mind, and that's Rutgers and Illinois, and they're only going to win those by a combined seven points. If they beat, if they if they have some sort of miracle happen in Maryland, I'm still picking Maryland. I'm still picking Maryland this weekend by at least fourteen. Maryland's going to roll them. Michigan's going to roll them. Ohio State's going to put eighty on the board. Ohio they're on a State revenge mission. Be fair. They're they're on a revenge mission. So is Michigan. And if you think either Harbaugh or Urban Meyer are going to take it easy on D'Antoni after they've ruined their seasons for the past couple of years, you got another thing coming. Spartans are going to need to go to the confessional booth before the U of M game because they're about to pay for ten years worth of sins that they just did. You better give on credit to that one. Oh yeah, that, I saw that from a, a yeah, you local stole radio that one. show. Yeah, you know this. Michigan State's going to get ruled, like I said, Michigan State's going to get ruled by 80. And you think either of them are going to take mercy for ruining Michigan State, or for ruining their seasons. Jim Harbaugh, Urban Meyer are going to hang a bunch of points on Michigan State, and they're never going to look back. And then it's they're going to hurt, and it's going to hurt bad. By if Michigan State doesn't make any changes. And we'll get into that after the break. That's our opening segment. We'll get into this one in a little bit. Listen to the SN Podcast for a chance to win a copy of the commemorative book detailing Mark D'Antoni on the rise of Michigan State football. It's called Reaching Higher, and it's a story by the State News, a long-form story all about Mark D'Antonio's rise to prominence here. And so, if you've been listening, you've heard us give you three key words of the week. And our first one for this one, you can enter these at statenews.com slash podcast. You enter these words for Tuesday show and Friday show, and you have a chance to win an, uh, a copy of the book. So our first word of this week is big. That is B-I-G. Make sure to enter that along with the other two words of the day to win a free copy of the book. Rules are online. Welcome back, everybody, 
Tuesday afternoon here in East Lansing. And, Stephen, I think it's safe to say that change needs to be made on the MSU football team. Um, as we get closer and closer to the MSU football game against U of M, it's looking less and less promising. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's looked promising since week one. <laughs> yeah, well, Notre Dame looked somewhat promising. Somewhat promising, but yeah. MSU can never have a complete game, even when they were winning games. Because even this weekend against Northwestern, they had the play calling was fine. I had no problems with the play calling, and then but the defense they couldn't complete it. I have problems with offensive play calling. Look, look well, look, I look, mean, look. They, not they to the extent thirty three points, but they had two long balls to R.J. Shelton, which one of which should have been picked. So you negate the other that one touchdown. You, you, you those are literally last resort play calls that you shouldn't have to make against a team like Northwestern. You should be able to move the ball when you move the ball up and down with Brian Lewerke in the first freaking drive, and you can't do it again. And you do it again on the second drive with a short field. They're lucky it was only thirty nine yards. They had to go to the end zone. I Michigan State might even ugh, like they were lucky to put up forty on Northwestern. I'm not even gonna lie. They were but lucky to put up 40. To have Northwestern's offense give you a 54 spot, that's unacceptable. Well, well, yeah. It's, look, like the way they did it is and the same story. Too? The same story every week. It's no, it's nothing different in terms of they can't get off the field on the first on third down. It's like they can't. Re- they they don't realize that it takes more than three downs to get off the field. That they can't they can't get off the third down. And they, their out routes are killing them. I don't know if it's systems and it. it probably is systems because it's like the, the talent's not bad here at Michigan State, but they're not using it very well. well Steven, and they're not putting anybody in a good position to succeed at all. How do you stop the bleeding? How do you stop the bleeding? There's only one way to stop the bleeding, and that's to win, and they ain't going to win. So this is going to bleed for a while. They, you, maybe you switch up some changes, but I don't know how much that – is anybody in the football building competent enough to make any big changes? Well, there's only one guy, and he's the head coach, and he can't run everything. I think you could put him he could run the plays on defense. It's it's definitely a viable solution. Have have Harlan Barnett just stick to defensive backs. Have have Mike Tressel just stick to linebackers and I, I would have Mark D'Antonio call defensive play calling. And then as far as offensive play calling, I don't even know what you do. Um <laughs> Do you do you have Dave Warner finish out the season? D- does does he? I mean, at this point, what difference is it gonna make? Yeah, it doesn't matter who's calling the plays because they're gonna execute. Because their offensive line, they're uh, the Swiss cheese. They, look, if you look at the who's that one sack on the worky Machado just blew it. Didn't oh, even yeah. didn't even have anything coming. He almost killed. He got his quarterback killed. And I mean that that was one of the biggest hits I've seen this year. Oh yeah, especially on a quarterback. Lifted I mean, him right off the ground. He was just pile drived. I mean, he was just bulldozed, and that. I mean, do you want to talk about that too? I mean, Lewerke, I don't think he did a bad job necessarily. I think it was an encouraging sign if you're a Spartan fan, especially because he's going to be the quarterback of the future. That's an encouraging sign because he's on par with Tyler O'Connor. I wouldn't say on par because... Did they do anything different? I mean, Tyler O'Connor still threw for three touchdowns, and he carried MSU. He he at least scored the bulk of MSU's points. Yeah. But did they look any different to you? Literally, he had two strong throws that resulted in touchdowns. Other than that, neither of them did very much. Yeah, that's that's very true. Neither of them... It, it wouldn't matter who starts, to me, to be honest with you. I think you stick with Tyler O'Connor let him finish out his senior year. You have to play every week... 
four every week for every game, but you have to look at it like this, where they're they're done for the year. And if you think anything otherwise, it I, I don't know what you've been watching. I, I don't know if you have a functioning brain. Michigan State is done for the year. And you know, I they're heard, not even going to make a bowl in my mind. They're going to go four and eight. Do you think the defensive schemes need to be changed at all, or any any kind of scheme, any kind of different play calling? Look, I don't have the kind of offensive brain or the defensive brain. I look, I wasn't a football player. I couldn't really tell you exactly what schemes to use. But I, nothing hurts at this point. I they can't man coverage anybody, and anytime they have any. They play zone. They're not going to be. They they can't stop anybody in an out route, and everybody knows that, and they can see it. So I don't know whether if you change any systems, going to do anything at all. And I mean, going back to just looking at the box score, hats off to Justin Jackson because I mean he had thirty four carries because that that just goes to show the way the offensive line can't stop anything. Defensive, defensive line. I'm sorry. Um, it's just been atrocious this year. It's so subpar to what Michigan State has built over the past nine years because Mark D'Antonio has been one of the greatest defensive minds probably in college football. But to go out and just lose time and time and time again, it's just so frustrating to watch. And I can't even imagine like what the players are doing and what the coaches are feeling like. Yeah, it's – when I put it in my column today, the only one that showed any emotion after any of that game was – was Mike Tressel. He was, he was pissed, and he started smacking his fists. And But, I mean, D'Antonio has always been calm, so I can't discredit him there. But that was the only one showing any life, and this team lacks some sort of enthusiasm and zest for playing football currently. It's, what it, it's, it's not hard to see when you, you're around these guys. It, they don't have any togetherness. They don't look like the team that any of the teams, the 2013 or 15 teams, that have won Big Ten titles. So... When we come back, we'll talk about a coach that actually has a bright future. That's P.J. Flack. We'll talk about where he lands or if he stays at Western Michigan another year. Listen to the SN Podcast for a chance to win a free copy of the commemorative book detailing Mark D'Antonio and the rise of Michigan State football. And that book is called Reaching Higher. Listen to, for the three key words of the podcast, and then you can enter those keywords at statenews.com forward slash podcast for your chance to win. So word number two of the afternoon is change. C-H-A-N-G-E, change. Welcome back, everybody. So P.J. Fleck, head coach of Western Michigan, um, him and the Broncos put a beatdown on Akron. And you know he's not coming back after this season. Um, he's probably going to leave for greener pastures. But, Stephen, does he stay or does he go? Uh, well, he's dumb if he doesn't go. What is Western Michigan? They're a Mac school? Yes, they are in the Mac. Uh what exactly? How many seats do they have in that stadium? I I'd couldn't tell you. I'd, I'd probably say probably say around under, 30. Probably under 40, right? They don't have the money that any of these other schools with openings will have, correct? Who do they play every year? They'll Central? play Central, Eastern, Toledo. Yeah. Who cares? 
right? No, Who cares. That's, that's, I, I just looked it up too. Waldo Stadium has a maximum capacity of 30,200. Yeah. Who cares? If I'm PJ Fleck and Brian Kelly gets canned over at Notre Dame, first thing I'm telling my agent, give the Irish on the phone. Tell him you want to go there. Because look, PJ Fleck might not have come from a big name, but neither did Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly was at Central. Was at Cincinnati, Central Cincinnati, before he went to Notre Dame. And so, uh, look where he went. Went to Notre Dame. You know what? And you know how much money Notre Dame has? A lot. You know how big their stadium is? 80,000 people. You know the kind of tradition Notre Dame has? A winning tradition. They've got a lot of... You know how many of... people care about Notre Dame? A lot of people. And you know how much money they'll pay P.J. Fleck to someone, for God's sakes, win them a national title? A lot of money. And you know who can win football games? P.J. Fleck. Yeah, but has P.J. Fleck won at the level that Notre Dame wants them to win at? Has... Did Brian Kelly... No, and it's not. It's not about winning national. It's not about winning titles when you move up the ranks. It's about how many winning seasons you had, and, and if you can show you won a product in your division. Stephen and I we talked about it earlier. Um, I I looked, and Brian Kelly is still locked up till twenty twenty two. We're gonna still fire. Him. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's got the thing is, is Notre Dame willing to eat that money? Oh, did, oh yeah. Did you, okay, there. Remember we talked about blue bloods? Yeah, and their football programs. Oh yeah. All Blue Blood football programs are willing to eat money if it means their football team will win again. So Michigan giving Jim Harbaugh one of the richest contracts, them signing with their Nike and, and anything, they're doing anything to win football games over there, right? What do you think Notre Dame's going to do? Has just as enough money as Michigan. Oh, yeah, if not more. Yeah, they're going to do exactly what they feel fit to and win you know football what? games again. And so they're going to, if they have to hire him, like, if Western Michigan should win the MAC, it should go undefeated, and if they don't, they still would, would go probably eleven and one. And, and let's not just put Notre Dame in the spotlight. I mean, there's plenty of other coaching opportunities across the country. I mean, you've got Purdue, which might be a little bit out of his range. Uh, well, Purdue might be out of, or PJ Fleck might be out of Purdue's Purdue. range. Um, you've got Houston because. I don't. I don't think their head coach is staying. Purdue would be a safe bet if he does. If Notre Dame doesn't want PJ Fleck, yeah. I would think he would take the Notre Dame deal because that's or not Notre Dame would take the Purdue deal because that's still more money than Western's going to offer him. Oh yeah, you, Western is a stopping point. Max schools are stopping points. Whether in, in no defense if you go to a Mac school, but those are stopping points for football. Those aren't. If your team wins a Mac title every year, good for you. It doesn't mean anything. Mac Mac schools will never play in the CFP. Unless uh, the only way they would ever do that if PJ Fleck goes twelve and zero for the next three years in a row and wins maybe uh, uh, schedules somebody that actually like beats Michigan State on a year that Michigan State had just gone eleven and one in or something. So let's get back to it. I mean, there's still a head coaching job at LSU, and even going back to the Notre Dame case, do you think Notre Dame would rather hire less miles over PJ Fleck? If it comes down to that, I think they would take less miles. I think P.J. Fleck has put himself in a position to sell himself, though. Less Miles, I mean, Less Miles is the name, but if Notre Dame is like, look, we tried coaches before, do we want to take a shot on Less Miles, who has pretty much had his run? It, it's a little different. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't make those decisions. I think they would go Less Miles over P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck ends up at Purdue, but Purdue might lock up whoever becomes their interim, interim coach. So... 
When we come back, we'll talk a little bit of the MLB playoffs, where my Cubs are going to win the World Series, hopefully, and we'll, we'll discuss that and their chances when we come back. Hi, Stephen Oshansky here, and it's time to give you our third word of the day for the State News Podcast Contest, where you can win a commemorative book on Mark D'Antonio called Reaching Higher. If you enter this third word to create the phrase of the day, you can enter yourself at statenews.com slash podcast, enter the phrase, and be in for a chance to win a copy of the free book. So, the third word of the day is needed. N-E-E-D-E-D. Again, that is needed. Glad to have you along here on this Tuesday afternoon as we wrap up the show for the day. And we'll talk a little bit about the World Series. Casey, are the Cubs still the favorite? Uh, Well, I didn't think that L.A. was going to put up such a fight with Washington. But, hey, what do I know? Um, That's right. Yeah, I still think that the Cubs are the favorite. Um, I'm looking at the probable pitching matchups for the rest of the series. Um, They've only got them set through Game 3. Uh, Arietta's going up against Rich Hill on Tuesday. And then for Wednesday's game, it's John Leckie against To Be Announced. Uh, he's done pretty good this year for the Dodgers. Right. But, you know, I, I think you go advantage uh, Cubbies because the Cubs, they have the established pitching rotation, and I've said it time and time again that good pitching is what gets you through the playoffs. And you know what? That's starting to change my um, view on the Blue Jays too because – The Blue Jays, they had such a potent offensive lineup, and this game tonight on Monday, um, because that's when we're recording the podcast, is such an important game for the Blue Jays. If they manage to win that game, that changes the whole outcome of the series because if the Blue Jays lose, that that would put Cleveland up 3-0. And uh, a 2-1 series is a big difference from down 3-0. Right. Um, Well, look at the Cubs matchup. Clayton Kershaw is an outlier. Same with Madison Bumgarner in terms of... Kershaw's a freak of nature. That's I mean, what I mean. He's an outlier. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> I mean, no... Look, the, the roster is not full of Clayton Kershaw's. No one's on fire like Clayton Kershaw. So the Cubs should... The, the match should come alive. And that was the dumbest thing I heard Pete, out of Pete Rose's mouth yesterday. was, how'd the Cubs win 103 games when you swing the bat like that? Do you, do you not know who was on the mound for seven of those innings? It was Clayton uh, Kershaw. That's uh, you've seen. You've you seen know, some of the best pitchers in the game. Wheeling deal. Did anybody when Verlander was going through his great year in like 2013 and 12 and 11? Oh, 2011 could and 12. He, could he? Could anybody hit him? Uh, barely. I, right. Barely. Yeah. But <laughs> like Clayton Kershaw has his awful games. But in the playoffs, it does something to a pitcher. Like, John Lester is phenomenal. Clayton Kershaw proved all of his skeptics wrong last night because, you know, he missed a big portion of the year uh, with his back injury, and people didn't know if he was going to be able to rebound. And it just goes to show that he is one of the best pitchers in the game. He's here to stay. And yeah, there's, but, like, the thing was is everybody's, like, freaking out about how the Cubs' chances have gone down. Like, they should put up whatever, how many runs on the next guy. Like, it's not... Clayton Kershaw is an anomaly. Like you're gonna, you're not gonna get you know, a, a, a phenomenal pitcher in the in the in the playoffs is gonna burn you here and there. It's not gonna happen every time. 
And, you know, it's kind of a shame for the Dodgers that there isn't five other Clayton Kershaws on the team. It's a shame for any team. Oh, yeah, because I I would give advantage (laughs) to the Dodgers all day. Um, And you want to know what makes Clayton Kershaw so effective? Hmm. The fact that he can mix in his fastball with that just bender of a curve. I mean, (laughs) if if you're a Tigers fan, you hear Jim Price say, yellow hammer, because he's got a curveball that's the ultimate yellow hammer. His mechanics, though, it, so weird. So I'm looking at an article right now. You can read it at Fangraphs.com. Oh, jeez. Um, Clayton Kershaw, this is what sets him apart. 79% or 73.9% of his first pitches that he throws are fastballs. That's quite a lot. I, I mean, to go out and the fact that, I mean, Cubs hitters should know that a fastball is coming. And they just can't catch up to it or oh. that. Or like you said, his mechanics. His mechanics, he's one of the most. It's ugly. <laughs> I, I wouldn't ugly. call it ugly, but it's it's one of the most fascinating deliveries. It kind of reminds me of Tim Lincecum. Like, do you remember when Tim Lincecum was the big thing? And he like they said that his dad taught him how to pitch by putting a dollar down at the mound. I mean, it, it's wacky like that. And. Oh my God! He just—he has the weirdest, um, like follow through. It just, it works. Yeah, I mean, if it works, it works. So, um, God, it's just, yeah, it's so ugly. I, I like look. It's it'd be distracting to me, but you go back to that that pitching on the fastballs and whatnot. It's the same thing with um, once you get up above ninety five or like just at ninety five. Like, there's nothing you can do with those fastballs, even if you know it's coming half the time. Because think about like a roll to 